It is always a privilege to be here with you. And uh, what a great weather. Spring is in the air. Uh, 20, 20 weeks ago, not 20 weeks ago, but 10 weeks ago, uh, we started the second half of a 20-week uh, journey through the book of Romans. Last fall, we, we looked at a series we called Back to the Basics, Romans 1 through 8, where we looked at the freedom we have in Christ and, and the Spirit's filling, the, the blessing of having the very Spirit of God indwell us. And, and then this winter and as of yesterday's spring, uh, we have this series where we've been looking at Romans 9 through 16, and we've been investigating uh, the sovereignty of God, human freedom, um, how we are to treat other believers as well as those who have yet to believe, and, and so much, so much more uh, in this series we're calling Metamorphosis. And, and so today is sort of the culmination of Paul's writing. We're going to look at Romans 16. And from the very beginning of the book of Romans, uh, Paul started off by calling himself a joyful servant. And if you can remember all the way back in fall, in September, we talked about what an interesting combination of words, joyful servant. But he was joyful because of the one he was serving and because of the mission that God had sent him on. In fact, uh, Paul was truly a transformed Christian world changer. Uh, he had gone from one who had persecuted the church to an apostle in God's church. And, and Paul was committed to sharing this good news that he had found in Jesus Christ. In fact, he declares, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in, the, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And in Romans 16, Paul concludes his epistle in part by giving us a long list of names, a long list of names, and then he he gives us a snapshot of unity. It's all, I, when we get to that part in the passage this morning, uh, we'll, we'll talk about a little bit why I think he might have done that. But he gives us a snapshot of unity again, and then some more names, and then a, a powerful doxology. Uh, but Paul, Paul, in his list of names, he, he mentions men and women, rich and poor, Gentile and Jew. And, and I think in doing this, we understand that Paul had this diverse group of, of, of people who he loved. And the church is made up of a diverse group of people. It gives us a snapshot, if you will, uh, of the church in which Paul lived and the, and the church in which Paul hoped that would blossom out of this movement. So Paul's closing, like his introduction of his epistle, really stresses the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel to unite us with God, the power of the gospel to unite us with one another, that the God who rescues has called all of us as followers to be Christian world changers sharing the gospel and the love of Christ to the nations, peoples, all the peoples of the world. And so let's begin by looking at those that Paul mentions as Christian world changers, Romans 16, 1 through 16. We'll follow along together as you look up at the screen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancria that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apennitis, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. 
They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amplitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. What a long list of names. And by the way, Abby Ryan read that, and I think she deserves a hand for reading that. I knew she was going to do that uh, last week, and I asked for her forgiveness before she even read it. Uh, but, uh, but what a great job. But, but I love the fact that there's these lists of names. Now, you, know, you probably asked 2,000 years later, you know, is the list of names really all that important or insightful? And I want to give you a solid yes. And, and I want to start by just saying that, you know, that Eponidas is the first convert in Asia, and, and we know that. Now, of course, it's Asia as Paul knew it. Uh, you know, and so he's looking at this region, this, this whole area, and he's saying, here's the very first convert ever, and we have that person's name. I, I just find that extremely exciting. Uh, like, do we really know the first convert in our region? I, I don't know if we do. If we do, I'd love to know the name, but I, it's just cool for me to think that in the list of names, we can actually point to that. And, and many a missionary throughout Asia has looked at that and said, man, we get to build on that very first person who came to Christ. But we, we really learn indirectly from these verses uh, quite a bit about the early Christian community and, and its diversity again, that the church in Rome, from the names, we know we're, we're diverse ethnically and, and socially, and, and yet they're one in Christ. And, and the renowned commentator, Douglas Moo, um, provides this powerful insight when he comments, while not very interesting to the modern reader, and I think that's probably true, well, not very interesting to the modern reader, these names are a goldmine to the social historian because names in the ancient world were, were highly significant. And that's not to mean that our names aren't significant today, but typically today when we choose names, we choose it because it either sounds good, it reminds us of a relative or maybe even a celebrity, and, and that's all good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But in the ancient days, in the days in which Paul wrote this letter, names spoke to someone's origin, their their their, their profession, their, their social class. In other words, when, when historians look at old documents, ancient documents, they can tell from the names many things about the individuals who are being written of. And, and the names found in Romans 16 imply a community made up of Gentiles and Jews, uh, those from, from, from the higher, higher stratus of social income to those on the lowest, men and women. Uh, you know, it's apparent that, in, in particular, that women were prominent in the Roman church uh, not just as attendees, but also as workers and leaders. Further, you know, when we think about 10 of the 27 Christians whom Paul greets were women, more than a third. Six of them are commended explicitly for working hard in the Lord. And then we have Phoebe. Phoebe was a wealthy woman who used her resources and her influence in, in order to defend and sponsor Christian missionaries. In fact, the word uh, apostolos, which we get the word apostle from in the New Testament, 
is a word here that has various meanings, but in this context means commission missionary, and it would appear that Bobby and Junia are, are both uh, Christian missionaries, and it even appears that Bobby was a deacon in, in the church in Rome. So both men and women held these leadership positions in the early church and, and had this ecclesiastical authority in the first church. And I couldn't help but go to Galatians 3.28 where Paul describes the, the children of God this way. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or, and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not saying there's not differences. Obviously, there's a difference between men and women. There's a difference between Jews and Greeks culturally. And he's he's not in any way saying there's not diversity. He's just saying that the unity is what we focus on, that we're all one in Christ. And the church is made up of all peoples, male and female, all socioeconomic classes and the like. And isn't that a beautiful picture of God's children? That when everything's said and done, the gospel tells us that what really matters is are we in Jesus. Are we in Jesus? Are we being Christian world changers? That that's what the scripture really, really focuses on. And I find it really interesting. So, so Paul spends time and he gives this greeting to those who are in Rome and gives us this beautiful picture of the church. And, and, and in just a moment, he's going to write a greetings to, to some people who are, who are with him as he's having this letter written. Uh, but then he stops and, and he gives us this picture, this, this actual uh, warning of heresy and divisions and schisms. So he's done that earlier in the book. And so you wonder, why does he do it again? And why does he do it here? And I think it's because he's, he's thinking of these people who are serving the Lord and he's going, you know what? Life is messy. Have you realized that? And he's probably thinking of other churches he's been a part of and visited and heard of. And he realizes that, that the enemy really wants to divide the church of Jesus Christ. Like we as a church have to fight, literally fight to keep unity in the body. Do you realize that? That our differences can tear us apart, but Paul says, no, we're one in Jesus. We have a mission. We can have different opinions about so many things, politics, policies, on and on and on. He says, but we're united in Jesus. And so when we gather together, we're one. Like put the stuff of the world aside and let the things of God influence the stuff of the world. Amen, church? And so look at what he writes, Romans 16, 17 through 20. He says, I appeal to you. I just got to stop there for a minute because you read that and you miss it. I do. That's a strong statement, actually. I appeal to you. I mean, he's saying, I beg you, listen to me. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So he lists these names. He's about to list some other names. And he says what? Watch out. Watch out. And this word, this phrase, watch out, comes from the Greek word scopus, or, or scope would be the word we would, we would translate. It carries with it this idea of spying or focusing on someone. Now, what Paul wasn't saying that as Christians, we should become sort of secret agents spying on one another. That, that's not the picture he's trying to get, 
us to understand, but he is writing and saying that the real notion here is that we're to be aware of those who cause division and if necessary, identify them as such, to be able to know who they are and to be able to recognize them as dividers, divisive people. And Paul was probably, again, giving this general warning because of his understanding of, of churches elsewhere and relationships that he had had. And Paul understands that people who cause division are, are either consciously or unconsciously are trying to, to rip the communities of believers apart or attempting to cause people to stumble in the Lord. And the reason I say consciously or unconsciously is because I do believe the enemy uses people to bring division into families and churches and relationships and all those type of things. Sometimes people do it somewhat willing, willingly, and sometimes people are unwilling participants in something that isn't good. They, they don't know they're doing the wrong thing, but they're doing the wrong thing all in the same. And, and it could be because of sin. It could be because of bad doctrine, you know, unbiblical teaching. But I want, to, I want to share with you a few things. First is this, how do we spot divisive people in the church? If we're supposed to spot them, how do we spot them? And the first is this, their focus is not on the Lord, but on church politics and scandalous accusations. Like I can tell a divisive person by the conversations I have with them. They're not about the Lord. They're about things that, that are sort of extracurricular things. Church politics, things outside of church, things that, that could easily divide, you know? I'm, I'm amazed sometimes in this era of social media which, by the way, I'm not on much. I mean, in this area of social media, when people go, I don't know why people were upset with me, and I go, what did you write? And I go, well, you asked for it. You know, I mean, you really did. And, and they go, I, well, I got upset with so-and-so. What did they write? Well, they asked for it. If you're throwing things out there that are, that are you know, sort of, okay, am I, am I stepping on some toes this morning? If you're writing some things on there that are, that are somewhat, you know, uh, direct and, and, and sort of, uh, controversial, don't be surprised if people are, are going to jump on it, right? And, and we all know that everyone's much tougher on social media than they ever are face-to-face, -face. Uh, you know? And so it's, it's, you know, we see that within even God's church. The second thing is this, they, they try to draw you off into doctrine that is contrary to the basic teachings of Scripture. Now, remember, when Paul write Rome, wrote Romans, there was no New Testament. There were books being written. God was inspiring the writing of the New Testament. So he encourages them, he says, the things that you've heard, these, these messages on biblical doctrine, judge what people are saying to those things, and we have the full word of God that we get to use in order to say, well, is that biblical or not? And, and, and the apostle had not personally instructed the Romans, but he encourages them. He had heard uh, of, their, of their good living, and he encourages them, stick to those things. Now, what are we to do with the body of biblical doctrine? What are we to do with the scriptures? We're, they, we're to identify those who violate and teach false doctrine. And there's many out there. In fact, even the message I share, you should go back to the word and say, is, is that in alignment with the word of God? I mean, not that I would ever want to purposely lead you astray, but we should all do that when we hear someone say something. You know, I'll have people say, do you think that's biblical? And I go, well, go to the Bible and let's figure it out. There's a, there's a, the wealth of, of, of scriptures that lets us know whether someone's teaching scripture or not. And then it's interesting. What does Paul say? He doesn't say, and when you find somebody who's divisive, go argue with them. Do you notice what he says? Keep away from them. And just keep your distance. I think some of the best things that we could do with divisive people is, is be charitable, be nice to them, and yet not hang around them much. Let, it, let, them, let God deal with them. Let them understand what, what's going on in their heart. Let the Holy Spirit do the Holy Spirit's job. 
See, divisions have unnecessarily ripped so many churches apart and ruined so many relationships. And people may become a divider because they didn't get their way. I had a friend years ago tell me, and I've repeated it ever since, you know, if you want to know the maturity of someone, just tell them no. When people are told no, real quick, you find out what's really happening in their heart. People may become a divider because they they didn't get their way. Perhaps their pride is hurt as a result, whatever the reason they attack. And, And here's the interesting thing. It happens when people stop focusing on the Lord and start focusing on those imperfect people in the church. I've always found that very interesting when people talk about the imperfect people in the church as if they're not one of them. Right? Come on now. Uh, people say, well, I'd go to church if, they, if everyone lived perfectly to what they understood to be. And I, I said, well, do you? Well, no. Well, come. Come join the mess that we are. God's doing something great in this mess. It's a sacred mess because God's working his way in us. Isn't he, church? And so, you know, it's not that we shouldn't be striving to be perfect. We should become more and more like Christ, right? But we do understand it, it is a journey, right? Come on, I know it's early, but we're on the same page, right? It's a journey. It's a journey. But let me, let, me, let me share this with you. It is virtually impossible. Let me say it again. It is virtually impossible to be a divider if you cultivate your personal relationship with God and build up other people. Like, I've never been around a divider, a person who's a divisive person, who, who's really focused on Jesus and building people up. In fact, I'm just going to say it. You, you, you take it for what it's worth. This isn't thus say the word. This is me. If you're not building people up, don't say anything. Like, like if, you, if you're not building people up and you see a fault in somebody and you haven't built them up, you have no right to go speak into their life. Build them up. If you're a person building people up, you won't, you won't even understand how much authority you're given to speak the truth into someone's life that's doing something wrong when you're building people up. But if you're not building people up, you should be, just take it to prayer. Let the Lord do his work because you're not qualified to do it. And it's nearly impossible to be a divisive person if you're focused on that relationship with God and building others up. So Paul encourages those in Rome again. He says, I know you're living rightly. He says, but basically continue to live rightly. Don't let yourself get wrapped up in these divisive things. And I want to share with you real quick a a doctrinal or or an ethical litmus test. You know, doctrinal, is someone teaching something biblical? Is, Is someone... Uh, living in a way that reflects Scripture. There's three things that you can ask that helps you with this. First of all, does it agree with Scripture, which means you need to know the Scriptures, but does it agree with Scripture? The second is, does it glorify the Lord? And the third is this, does it promote goodness? Have you ever been in a conversation you just left feeling yucky? That's a good warning sign. That probably wasn't a good conversation. But have you ever left a conversation that's even difficult, but you left and thought, man, we made some ground here. Goodness, glorifying God, biblical. And I love it because, because Paul encourages us. He says, listen, soon God will crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that a good word picture, by the way? I love that word picture. I, I heard years ago someone said, you know, when the devil reminds you of, of sort of what you've done wrong, just remind him of his future. Soon God will crush Satan underneath his feet. When Jesus returns, there, there will be peace. There will be no, no division. And then he says, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I think those two together give us a beautiful picture of how we should pray as a church. We should pray as believers that, that there would be no division, that the division will be crushed, and that grace would characterize God's church. Grace. 
Paul's written a ton in these 16 chapters about God's grace. It's not something we deserve, but it's something he gives us. In fact, the Lord is our example. He said, while you were still sinners, I died for you. You didn't just say I loved you, I showed my love for you. And if Jesus is our example, I just throw out there, how can we treat others any differently? Grace, love, caring, fighting for unity. And then Paul gives these greetings. It's like he, he gives this list of people who he wants to talk to and acknowledge in Rome. Then he gives this idea of division. And then all of a sudden he says in Romans 16, 21 through 24, he's writing of those with him. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and so does the pastor, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, I love that. He just wants everyone to know. Paul didn't write it. He just told me what to write. I, Tertius, wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother, Bordus, greets you. And I love it. This passage offers us, again, this list of names, and we don't have time to get into each and every one of them, but those names show us that those who are with Paul are from a, a vast geographical distance and, and cultural differences. And so even in, in, Paul isn't just saying, hey, you know what? I gather once a week with people who are different than me. No, he travels with a group that's this diverse and yet united in Christ. It's just a beautiful picture of God's church, that this gospel unites us with Christ, unites us with one another, that we, we learn what community is with the living God and learn what community is with fellow believers. And you can, you can just picture with me Paul as he's dictating this letter to Tertius, who's writing it all down. And at the very end, he shares this doxology. It's this prayer, and I think it just burst out of him by the power of the Spirit in light of everything that we've looked at over these 20 weeks of, of studying Romans, Romans 16, 25 through 27. Paul prays over us. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the ministry that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. The only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. The gospel Paul received from God was, has always been all about Jesus Christ from beginning to end. And it's this salvation that's offered to all peoples. And through this message of salvation by faith was it was present in the prophetic scriptures, but it was made clear to the nations through the teaching of the gospel. And it calls people to obedience to faith. And Paul concludes his epistle prayerfully. How does he cry out? He says, he says, God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. I think we can echo like with an amen, right? What a beautiful prayer. What a beautiful statement. And so I wrap up our 20-week study of Romans by that brings us back to the basics of the gospel and introduces us to this transformation, this metamorphosis that's found in Christ. And, and God has come and offers us this different life, this, this righteous journey, and this, this coming glory. And you say, well, how? I want to take a moment. Let's, let's take a brief look through Romans. We're going to look up at the screen. Let's follow along. Let's take a brief look through Romans. And how does this work happen within us? Take a look at the screens. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, The righteous shall live by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And in light of that, I pray over us the prayer that Paul prayed over us, Romans 16 again, 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, amen. It's not a coincidence that Paul begins and concludes his letter by pointing at the salvific work of God. That, that, that the gospel has the power to justify us, that the gospel has the power to sanctify us, that the gospel has the power to lead believers to be glorified. And, and in Christ, we, we, we are justified. We're made right with God. That's salvation, right? It's, it's where we start this walk with the Lord. And then salvation continues in, in the sense of being sanctified. And what's that mean? It means becoming like Jesus, right? To, to, to become like him in, in his love and his, his purpose and his, his priorities and, and his character. And God's continuing to do this work. If, you're, if you've come to Christ, you've been justified. That's been done. But you're being sanctified. And, and the good news is, is when Jesus returns and when, as we return to him, we'll be glorified. Like the work will be completed and the mess of earth will be done and, and, and we'll be in his peace and comfort. But until then... His spirit indwells us, transforming us into the image of God. This metamorphosis is taking place. And again, I call it a sacred mess because we're messy, but God is so sacred. And he's doing this work in our midst, and he calls us to this, to this amazing, amazing relationship with him. And so I just ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Won't you come to Christ for salvation? Won't you receive him as Savior and Lord? I ask you, if you know Jesus, are you walking with him? Are you walking with Jesus? And if you're walking with Jesus, is he using you to be a Christian world changer? This is all God offers us in Jesus Christ. I mean, this, this is the gospel, church. There is no other. This is it. 
This is the one that gives us life. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. And as I pray, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, won't you, won't you welcome God there and invite him to take you on your next step? Father God, thank you so much for, for giving us this amazing book, for in, inspiring Paul to, to have it written. These words have life, not because Paul spoke them, but because you inspired him to speak to them. We thank you for Tertius who spent the time to write them down. God, thank you for the gospel as the power to justify us, to make us right with you. And I pray if there's anyone who's yet to receive you as Savior and Lord, but even now, whether they're here on our Canandaigua campus, part of our online campus, our Hopewell campus, God, but this in the quietness of their heart, that they would thank you for dying for their sins, being resurrected for their salvation but they enter into that relationship, which isn't based on what they have done or what they haven't done, based purely on what you've done, the finished work of the cross. God, we thank you that as we enter into that relationship with you, that you continue to do a work within us, a metamorphosis takes place. And as we focus on, on you, your focus for us is to become more like Jesus, to to become like him in his character, to become like him in his love and his priorities and his purpose. Thank you, Father, that as we become more like Jesus, we're, we're able then to strengthen every relationship that we're in. Not just our relationship with you, but with our spouses, with our children, with our co-workers, with our schoolmates. You use us to make a difference. You actually transform us to, to be Christian world changers. And oh, Lord God, thank you for the day when Christ returns and we return to you and, and we're glorified. The work is completed. Lord God, I do pray that you would strengthen us and that you would, Lord God, do a work that, that, that only you can do. And, and Lord, we thank you for it. Thank you for your word that reveals your truth to us and allows us to grow in our relationship with you, to be able to, to determine whether we're heading down the right path or, or whether what we're hearing from others is in accordance to what you have in line for us. Lord God, we pray that you would help us walk in obedience and faith. We pray this to the only wise God, that you be given glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen, amen.